0: Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams concludes the series, Hoodwinked. Brandon talks about how we need safeguards set up in our life so that when the enemy tempts us, we have a solid defense. What safeguards in your own life is the Lord calling you to put into action? Well, we're going to continue this uh, series called Hoodwinked. This is the last uh, week we're doing this. Um, If you recall... Uh, this is, we've, we looked at this the last two weeks. If you think back with me, we've looked at the fact that we've somewhat been deceived that we, uh, life is about us. And so that was the first week. Last week, we looked at some symptoms of how we can know if we have been deceived ourselves. And this week, I'm excited about this week because I believe it will be a very practical teaching that you can apply immediately in your life and, uh, help keep you out of deception and being manipulated yourself. Um, So we're going to continue to look at that. Uh, The the word hoodwink came from, and if you've been here the last two weeks, you're like, oh great, he's going to tell this again. But I want you to understand, the word hoodwink came from about the 15, 16 hundreds. And what happened was... That when, when people in that day, they, would, they wore hoods and, and wink back then actually meant that not to blink or, or just wink at somebody, but it meant to close your eyes. And so where this word came from is the people that were wear, wearing hoods, when somebody would rob them, oftentimes they would pull the hood over their eyes and basically closing their eyes. And then they would rob them. And so the the robber would get away and nobody would know who did it. So that became known as hoodwinked. And so that's where we get the word today, which we think of as just being deceived or having the wool pulled over our eyes. I don't know where that originated from. But anyway... Um, we're going to continue to look at that today. I'm excited about next Sunday. We're starting something new. Um, it, the series is called 180. I, there are messages in this series I've wanted to preach for like a month and a half. And I just kind of almost wanted to jump ahead to some of these because I'm so excited about them. But I think you'll, you'll really enjoy these. We're taking this series from 180 Fitness... You know the, the gym right down the road. Um, and and it's their slogan is 180 Fitness, turn your life around. And I always thought that would kind of be a cool church slogan. So we're doing this series off of that. But how many of you would say sitting here today, right now, that you have been transformed into everything God wants you to be and done everything that God wants you to do? Anybody in here that has done that? Um, and could you also levitate? And <laughs> No, nobody has. And so if you're in that boat, which all of you are, then this series, I believe, will be awesome for you because we're going to look at uh, Nehemiah and how God transformed his life and in transforming his life um, he began to transform the life of others. So I'm um, pumped about this. I want you to come and be a part of that. If you have your Bibles turn to Genesis chapter 25. Continuing to look at Jacob and Esau and today we're going to begin to look at how we can guard ourselves from being manipulated and deceived by the devil and those who would come to manipulate and deceive us. Genesis 25, beginning in chapter 19, we're going to read through 34. It says, This is the account of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padanaram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled within her. And she said, this is, why is this happening to me? So she inquired, went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob, which means deceiver. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when, listen to this, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of the red, that red stew, I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is my, the birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you are stronger and greater than anything we face. Thank you that even when we've fallen into deception, into being manipulated, whether it was by... um, satan we bought into a lie god or whether it was through somebody that that satan has used in our lives to deceive us and manipulate us to try to bring harm to us that you are stronger and greater and god you have provided a way for us to be healed and restored and that way is jesus christ and we thank you for that god i pray today that your word would sink deep into our hearts god find good soil in our hearts and produce incredible fruit for your kingdom in our lives in jesus name amen Amen. When I was uh, about, I guess I was probably seven, eight years old. Um, one, you, you know, we always did pumpkins every year. And so one uh, year we had done the pumpkin and I saved some of the seeds out of that pumpkin. And so I took those and I put them in a little bag, stuck them in a drawer. And, um, and the next year I actually was going through that drawer and I found those next spring. And, and, and I found those seeds and I thought, well, I'm going to go and plant these things. I'm growing me some pumpkins this year. And so I went up there and in our backyard, we lived in, in sort of like northwest Georgia. It wasn't like the sandy soil we have here. It was like hard clay. And so I went up there in the back of our yard, kind of on a little hill, and I dug through that hard clay and I planted these seeds down in the ground. Now, everybody laughed at me, right? Because they're like, there's no way those things are growing in that seed. There's no way that, that, that a pumpkin can grow in that hard clay. And I was like, okay, you know, I didn't know I was seven, right? And I'm just like, I just know this is a seed. I'm putting it in the ground. So I go, I plant this seed in the ground. And lo and behold, a few weeks later, we start seeing something grow where I planted those seeds. It was absolutely incredible. I ended up growing two of the biggest pumpkins you've ever seen in your life. And then I was laughing at everybody else because they told me you can't grow pumpkins in this soil. And so I grew two huge pumpkins. We actually used them for our little jack-o'-lanterns that year. It was pretty awesome. I kind of got the last laugh. And I was thinking about that story this, uh, this week, and I was thinking about how One of the greatest things about planting a seed is that if you plant a seed, there is an expectation of a future, right? Is that not true? You don't sow a seed because you think the world's coming to an end tomorrow, because you'll never see the fruit of that seed, right? Everybody awake? All right, good. All right. Because you plant a seed, it is one of the greatest um, demonstrations of an expectation of a future that you can possibly have. When I planted that seed, those pumpkin seeds in the ground, I expected that I was getting some pumpkins at some point. Nobody else did, but I expected that at some point I was growing pumpkins. And they began to grow. And everybody was amazed. You know, one of the things I think about with God is that when we come to Christ, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is implanted in us. We are forgiven we're made whole and pure by Jesus Christ and the blood he shed on the cross for us so we become able for God to be planted on the inside of us now here's the thing and I feel like some of you really ought to hear this this morning is that when God plants that on the inside of you he doesn't plant it there because he thinks everything's going to end tomorrow he plants it there because he sees a hope and a future for you right So that there is something on the inside of you that God wishes to have grow in you. So that you produce fruit for the kingdom of God. It's a, great, it's a great thing when you get your mind around it that God plants something in you because he sees you having a future and a hope. And we need to remember that when we get to times when we think we've taken 10 steps backwards or we think that this is the end, we need to remember that in Christ, we have received the Holy Spirit and God has implanted his spirit inside of us because he has given us a future. Now, here's what the devil wants to do. The devil wants to come and one, try to rob that seed. But mostly the devil wants wants to come and frustrate you, get you to a point where you can't produce fruit for the kingdom of God. And how he does that is that he comes and he begins to get you to buy into lies, right? The only game, the only play that the devil has is to get you to believe a lie. If he cannot get you to believe a lie, then you have victory in Jesus. The only way you do not experience victory and the fruit of the Holy Spirit is when you give in to the lie of the enemy. Because fruit in your life is just as sure as you and I sitting here today. Unless we buy into a lie. So the devil wants to come and steal, kill, and destroy, as John 10 says. He wants to come and rob what God wants to do in your life. So how do we safeguard against that? Because here's the truth, and you need to understand this. You are either being used for the plan of God, or you're being used for the plan of the enemy. There's no, there's no in between, right? And, God, and the devil will send people into your paths to use them to a place where they rob what God wants to do in your life. Anybody ever bought into a lie? Anybody in here that would say you'd be even more wealthy if you had not believed a lie? I mean, maybe from somebody or, or some, some, or from the devil himself, just a lie that you bought into. I guarantee you everybody in here at some point has been manipulated and deceived to a point where the devil was able to rob you of what God wanted to do in your life. Everybody here this morning? Okay, good. All right. Everybody's good. And so this is what we want to look at today is, is how do we guard against this? How do we keep this from happening? How do we, um... How do we make sure this, this doesn't happen? That we actually produce fruit for the kingdom of God. And that's what I want to talk to you about. And, and I want to give you some ways this morning, some safeguards, some, some, some ways that if you do these things in your life, and listen, I, I can speak to this. I should be an expert on this. I have been deceived, manipulated. I've been hoodwinked so many times that, that I, I kind of look back and I can go, okay, now I understand why I should not have done this. So I want to give you a couple of things, few things um, that, that will help you To keep from making that mistake. Is that good? Everybody good? Everybody excited? Yay, God is good. We are saved people going to heaven and we are rejoicing today because God is alive. Amen. All right. Number one, I want to tell you this. Uh, The first one is this. You need to be honest and self-aware. And you need to recognize what your tendencies are. This is for me too. I need to be honest with myself. I need to be self I have, need to have great self-awareness to recognize what my tendencies are. What is it that that causes me to go off the edge, so to speak? What is it that causes me to plummet down into sin or or what is it that causes me to get to that place where I know I'm not functioning in God's will that throws me off my rocker. For me, I want to tell you, man, one of the biggest things that's a struggle for me today, and I know you're like, oh, that's nothing big. But man, one thing that just trips me up and messes me up is food. Anybody else just love food. I love some food, man. And and, you know, I can work out and I can run and I can do it, but I can, man, my discipline, it's like french fries are like kryptonite for me. I can, if you put french fries in front of me, I'm going to eat them. And not only am I going to eat them, I will probably eat half of yours and whatever's in the bag at the bottom of that bag, those are mine too. Don't even think about getting my French fries because those are my French fries. For me, man, that is just a trip. So if I'm going to eat better, if I'm going to try to protect myself from having a heart attack when I'm 40, you know, which is getting closer and closer and closer. um, (laughs) So if I'm going to protect myself from that, then I have to recognize if I can't get around fried food, I love it. I love it. And so I have to recognize those things. I remember one time, um, and this is, this is maybe a good way you can tie this all together. One time uh, I was in, when I was in the roofing business, did that for like eight years. I had gone out to measure somebody's house. It was actually a family member. Well, I got there, and the house was taller than I expected. So rather than going like two miles down the road and, and back to the, the office and getting a taller ladder, I was like, I can figure this out. There's a, there's a way. Where there's a will, there's a way. And so I can figure this out. So what I did was I backed my truck up to... The, and <laughs> I'm not saying this was a good idea. I'm just saying it was an idea. And, and so I backed my truck up to the, the edge of the house. And uh, I had a stepladder that was, you know, it was like 8, 10 foot tall. So I put the stepladder in the back of my truck, leaning up uh, onto the edge of the house. And, and I got up there. I was like, piece of cake, I'm a genius. And so I get up on the roof, I do my walk around, but this roof, it was so old that it was just like crumbling and it was sliding under my feet. And so I get up there, I'm walking around and and then it comes time for me to get down. Yeah. If you've ever been on a roof or done anything, it's always easier to walk up than it is down because you feel like your feet are going to slip out from under you. And not only did I always feel like, but especially this time, because it was like, you know, just crumbling and falling apart. And so, I get to where I've done everything I need to do, and it's time for me to get back down. And I seriously, I turn and I look down, and I see, I mean, this is like just the most redneck thing you've ever seen in your life. I see this step ladder propped up in the back of my truck, and I've got to try to get down to this step ladder. And so I start down, and sure enough, my feet start going out from under me. And so I just put my hands down on the roof, and I'm just sliding down on my rear end, and and the only thing I can see is all the junk in the back of my truck plus this ladder that I'm about to fall on. I'm like, oh my gosh. And and this is no joke. I get to the edge of the roof, and it must have been the hand of God that reached down and grabbed me because I get to the edge and I just stop. And I was like, Oh, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Because I just knew that I was dead. I knew that I was about to break every bone in my body. And so I I finally stopped at the edge of the roof and I got down. I'm shaking. My heart's going 100 miles an hour. I'm like, Oh my goodness. It was was just such a, a scary thing. I thought I was about to die. And so. Um, I, I did that and I get down and I've never done that again in my life. I just don't get up there if I can't, you know, get up there with the ladder on on. But here's the thing that we do in life. So many times in life, we, we like to get up to the edge of falling off, right? We, we, we like to, to set our boundaries as close to the edge as we can without falling off. It'd be like letting my toes hang off the stage. It would be, be one of those things where we like to get to the edge of the cliff and, and look down into what we know we shouldn't be a part of rather than standing far enough back and recognizing what it is that causes us to fall, right? Right? See, so if we recognize our tendencies, if, we re- if we're aware of ourselves and we look at them honestly, we can set boundaries far enough back that we don't end up falling off the cliff. Because one thing I can tell you, and I promise you this today, everybody in here has some issue that if you are not proactive with it, it will dominate your life. Right? Don't act like you don't, because you do. We all have issues, including me. And if we're not proactive, we don't get honest with ourselves, quit overlooking it as though it doesn't exist, and then begin to place boundaries in our life that keep us from that place. Listen, if you, um, if you get stressed and you have to drink because you're stressed, then don't try to deal with the drinking alone. You need to realize, why am I stressed? Why am I so stressed? Why is it that, that, I, that, 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 that I'm living my life to a point that the only way I feel like I can make it is by getting drunk? Why is it that I do that? If, if you get stressed and, and you go to the internet and you begin to look at things that you shouldn't, why are the, why, what is it that's causing that to happen? Begin to step back and place boundaries far enough back that you don't get to that place of compromising your values and your beliefs. Set them far enough back. Because too many times we get ourselves in a situation where we're too far gone. We're already too close. And it is not physically possible nor mentally possible for us to withdraw and pull back and save ourselves. Because we put ourselves in compromising positions. So the first thing is we've got to be honest and have self-awareness. Recognize your tendencies. And look at why do I feel the way I feel? How can I back this thing up further? so that I don't get myself into a place where I'm going to compromise what I believe to be true and important the second one is this and this is huge man, this is huge just listen and and if you will practice this it will save you much heartache the second one is this let people prove faithful before you give them access to everything how many of you would say that if you had just taken it a little slower in life, trusting people you'd be better off for it today I mean, uh, I guarantee if you think back to it, there are times in your life when you've trusted people too soon and you gave them too much and it it ended up coming back and biting you. I've seen this in my own life so many times. I mean, I usually, one of the things I do every week is I pray really hard about illustration. How can I take this from biblical theory to a practical way where people understand? This was not hard for me. I had so many times that this happened to me that that I I could stand here all day, I promise I won't, but I could stand here all day and talk to you about times I trusted people with too much too soon and I got burned from it. Talking about money being stolen, I'm talking about all kinds of things. If I had learned this principle when I was 13 instead of 33, I would have been so much better off. But what I realized when I was about 33 years old, I'm 34 now, so that gives you an idea of of how recent this is, okay? When, When I realized this, I was riding down the road on Lakeview Road. I was coming into town. I was right next to the landfill. This is how profound it was. And it finally hit me that there are people in the world who look me in the eyes and all they're thinking about is how can I manipulate this guy to get what I want? And you need to realize that. You need to re- I'm not telling you to live your life paranoid. I'm telling you to practice a biblical principle. And it's found in Luke chapter 16 verse 10. I'm going to read it to you real quick so you don't think I'm just making this up. But this is something that Jesus taught us to do. In Luke six, sixteen ten, it says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Listen, don't trust people with everything until they've been faithful with something, right? Because it will get you in so much trouble. When I was in the roofing business, I don't know why roofing stories came to my mind this this week, maybe because we're talking about deception and that is one of the greatest places. If you want to be deceived, have people try to manipulate you, get in the roofing business, because those guys were absolutely great and they loved me when I first got into it. I was 24. I knew nothing about the world. And so they could come to me and lie to me. And I believed every word. And then I began to realize that the only way you could tell if many of their, th- them were lying was if their lips were moving. That was the only way you could tell if some of them were lying. If their lips were moving, they were telling a lie. Not all, but there were a lot. There was one time even that it was so bad. Um, there was a guy who worked for us. We put brand new tires on a truck. He's laughing because it was his truck. Um, (laughs) We put brand new tires on a truck. And this guy, we had noticed some things. We had promoted him too fast. um, And we we were trusting him with too much. We thought there might be some substance abuse problems. But we really really were in need. And so we trusted him with too much, too fast. and, And we put new tires on this truck that he was driving from Vidalia, actually at this time, up to Augusta. And ended up... So that, you know, what I'm telling you happened he, he was not even faithful with little we gave him a lot we had to fire him and the week after we fired him the new foreman comes up to me and says hey um, boss we need to get some tires put on this truck it's like what? tires on the truck we we just put new tires on the truck he's like well you need to come look at them i go down there no joke there were wires sticking out of the tires on this truck come to find out when we had put the tires on the truck he went and sold the new tires put some old tires on the truck and 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 got the money to buy um, drugs with absolutely amazing right and we think wow but there are people that do these kind of things every day there are people who lie to us every day and try to take advantage of us, and we need to be on guard. The one way you can protect yourself against this: don't trust people with everything until they've been faithful with something, and start small and build it up and work with it. I want to do something. I want to embarrass them. Everybody wants to see somebody get embarrassed today. You're like, as long as it's not me. I'm going to ask Don. Don, will you come down? Come down here just a second. Yeah, Don. That's you. You, Don, as in Don Baldwin because I want to I want to tell you something that, that I believe is, is another good, awesome, uh, just practical way of looking at this. I want to tell you, when Don walked through the doors of this church, I, I was like, man, he, he kind of looked like a dead man walking, right? He comes walking in that day. Um, he comes in and I could tell, I, like I said, I've been around people who were hurting, uh, enough to see that this guy was hurting. He walks in, Um, He was wanting to paint the lines in the parking lot. My first thing, because I've been deceived and manipulated, was, great, here's another. He's just wanting some money. It'll probably rain the first time, and all the yellow lines will go away. (laughs) And I'm thinking, I I really don't want to do this, but I was like, you know, Jesus said to to give and and to take care of. And Don walked in the door that day, and his own testimony was, listen, I, I didn't know if I wanted to wake up the next morning. And that's where he was. So he comes and we look at this and we say, well, we're going to pay him to paint. We're going to take a chance. We're going to give him something little to do. Well, he does that. It was in the time we start doing the, uh, the remodeling in here. He comes every day volunteering his time to paint, to do sheetrock, to do whatever needs to be done. He's just up here faithfully, 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 faithfully. We're just going and doing and, and doing anything we ask him to do, we're giving him little things to do, little things to do. And he continues on and continues on, just being faithful with every little thing that we had. And so we're like, hey, we ought to do something for this guy. We need, Let's just pay. him. So we started paying him a little bit as a benevolence type thing. We're like, we'll just do this. He's been hanging around for 10 months now. It's like we can't get him off payroll. Right. And, and one thing I want to tell you is that he's gone. God has done such an awesome work in Don's life that you will not walk in this church Monday through Friday and not see a man who is smiling, happy to be here. And you will almost walk out the doors feeling guilty for why am I not more joyful? and and most of the time you won't get out the doors without him praying for you and so we were talking at a board meeting the other day we were talking and we're like you know well how about don i was like how about it you know and and the board was like you know what would we do without him and it's because he was faithful with a little see there's too many people in the world today who want to be given much and they haven't taken care of what they were given already And there comes a place in life when you need to be faithful with a little bit. And we were sitting there talking that day at the board meeting. We're like, what will we do without him? Because he's faithful with everything that we give him. And I'm not trying to elevate Don this morning. I'm trying to show you what Jesus did in his life. Because he was faithful with a little. Thank you, Don. We love you, man. Appreciate you. And so because he was faithful with a little, God has given him more. Don's starting to coordinate all our events for us. He's, he's heading up all of our outreach ministry, which was his heart when he walked in the door the first day. And, and, and so if something doesn't go right like an event we do, blame it on Don. Don't blame it on me. But... <laughs> But he is, and God's just given him more and more because he's been faithful with a little. And and that's what God's called all of us to do. Number three, this is out of Luke 1610 again. And this is huge, guys. I've been burnt by this before. And I want you to hear this. Number three, don't put others on a pedestal and don't ride people's coattails. Listen, you will get Burnt. Okay, You will get toasted. When I was first getting going in ministry, um, I didn't feel like I could do anything on my own. And, and I'm not talking about like not depending on God. I felt like I always had to have somebody else that could tell me, well, well you need to do this, you need to do that. I, I, I didn't trust myself to be able to do things. And if you're insecure, if you're a person with insecurity issues um, like me, then this is something that that can get you in a big way because you want to find security in other people. You want to find security in somebody to say, that was good, that was okay, that was good. This is what you ought to do. I'm not talking about not seeking godly wisdom, not having mentors. What I'm talking about is when you begin to take the faith that is reserved for God and God alone and place it on somebody else in your life. When you begin to worry more about what they think or what they say than what God says. Those kind of things are things that will show you um, that you're putting too much into this other person. I've had two times in my life that crushed me because I put somebody on a pedestal and, it, and then it all fell apart. It almost made me walk away from God because I, I had put so much faith in them. Be careful about putting people. Don't put me on a pedestal. God, for God's sake, don't put me on a pedestal. <laughs> Ask my wife. You do not. They, listen, we put pastors on a pedestal. We put very spiritual people on pedestals. That is a place that is reserved for Jesus. That is a place that is reserved for Him. And you need to realize that the only coattail you need to ride is that of Jesus Christ. He is the one who created you. He is the one that shaped you. He is the one that knows why you were created and wants to use you in awesome and amazing ways. When we started this church, man, every coattail I had got yanked out from under me. I mean, just gone. But it was the greatest thing looking back. It made things stressful. It made things hard because I had to learn how to depend on God and God alone. I couldn't look to somebody else to to give me the advice. I couldn't look to somebody else to, and not just godly advice, you got to hear me, but literally like a puppet directing my life. I had to look to God and God alone. And listen, when you start a church and there are 12 people and 12 people have 12 good ideas about what you need to do and you got nobody else around you, you know how hard it is to say, no, this is the vision, we're going this way. Because if you make 12 people mad, you might have no people. But you have to come to a place where I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to follow God, and I'm not going to put somebody else on a pedestal so high that they become the voice of God in my life. The throne in your life is reserved for one and one only, and that is God the Father who gives you access to Him through Jesus Christ. And that is it. That is the only thing. I want to tell you real quick two things that, that will help you recognize if somebody has gotten to a point where they... Um, they are, they, it's an unhealthy amount of dependence that you've put on them in just a moment. We were riding uh, down the road one day, and uh, there was uh, one of these little country roads, and, and uh, as we're riding... Um, there was uh, a car that was, had, had started to make a turn. They were stopped in the middle of the road. woman out there waving her arms, flagging us down, panicking, freaking out. And, and we stop and, and go over to see what's wrong. I, was, I mean, I was little. I was a little kid. This is one of my earliest memories. But I probably will never forget it. Um, and, and we get out, and my dad goes up and, and to see what's wrong. And there was a little girl. See, this is back before wearing seat belts was what you were supposed to do. Um, and I can tell like how old you are when you get in the car by whether or not you put your seatbelt on first. When I get in the car with like college age people younger than me, the first thing they do is pop on their seatbelt. I get in the car with people older than me and they're like, Hey, want a seatbelt? You know, we, been, and we've gotten better about it because everybody's talked about it, but you can really see it. Well, this was before when, before wearing seatbelts was the big thing. Well, what had happened was this little girl was propping up on the door, uh, on the back door of this car and they'd gone to make this turn and, and she she fell out the door and we get out and, and it was a miracle but the only thing that was wrong was she just had some scratches and and some bruises and it was just little little bleed, little bleeding scratches here and there nothing major but but what happened was she was depending on something for security that that was not secure and what was crazy about this was this was the second time this had happened and the mother was still letting her prop up on this door I'm like, come on now, this is your kid. I'd like to have her bungee strapped to the back seat. If there's no seat but then just strap, get a strap. Bungee, you're in there. But it was the second time, and this is what I will promise you. If you begin to prop yourself up on somebody else, you will fall. You need to prop yourself up on God and God alone. Taking advice from other people, but always measuring it against God and what God says. And here's two ways to make sure that somebody does not have... An improper place of authority in your life. Number one is this if you become willing to overlook obvious character flaws so that that person becomes something that they're really not, then they've taken too much. Um, of a place of faith in your life. They've taken too much of a place of authority in your life. Because this is what you will find, and if you think about people in your life, you may have somebody like this. What begins to happen is there are these little flags that begin to go up, there's these little things that begin to happen, but you begin to even make excuses for their behavior. You ever done that for somebody? That you look at them and their problems and you see it. There are character flaws and you see it. But because in your mind you wanted them to be something that they're not, you begin to make excuses for why they are the way they are. Right? And you're not honest about who they are and what they're really about. And we have to come back to this place of honesty where we're willing to recognize. Listen, girls, don't marry some guy and think you're going to change him if there are flaws there when you're dating him there's going to be flaws when you marry him and probably more because then he's got (laughs) you guys the same thing if the girl's not running hard and fast after Jesus and you are you're not going to change her maybe you will maybe you won't but I'm telling you you need to begin to recognize and be honest about what you see in other people And not put so much credit, not put so much faith in people when there's obvious flaws. The second thing is this. When you get willing to do things for them that go against your biblical and moral standards, then they've taken too much of a place of authority in your life. And you need to back away from that. Because if you're willing to compromise your values and your beliefs, then they have become your God. Because you're no longer obeying God himself you're obeying this other person. You can always go to the Word of God. If they're asking you to do something that goes against the Word, don't do it. I don't care if it's in business. I don't care if it's in relationships. I don't care what it is. Don't do it. Keep God on the throne and be obedient to Him and Him alone. Be obedient to Him and Him alone. Last one. This is number four. And this one. Uh, It's critical. All these things are critical. But I want you to hear this. Number four. Hear and obey God. Listen to this. Acts 16. I want you to hear this. Acts chapter 16, verse 6 through 10. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia, when they came to the border of Messiah, they tried to enter Bithynia, But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Messiah and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So here's the picture. Paul is here and he knows one thing. I'm supposed to preach the gospel to Gentiles, right? I'm supposed to tell the Gentiles about Jesus Christ. And so he starts to go into these other places. And what does God do? He's like, "Ah, don't go there. And so he stops. He tries to go into two different places and God stops him. And listen, God's directing his life and his path. We don't know what would have happened if he had gone there, but we know that God didn't want him to go there. And the Spirit of God was directing his life. It is so important that we begin to hear and obey the Holy Spirit, that we listen to what God is telling us in our lives. And one of the things we've got to do is we've got to realize that God still speaks today. We've got to realize that God is not a dead, mute idol that does not talk to us. God is very real and very alive, and he wants to speak to your heart. I'll tell you a real quick story about this, that I was working a men's retreat one time. And this is one of the most awesome things that God has ever allowed me to be a part of and see. But I was working a men's retreat one time. We went into this prayer chapel and we're sitting there. It was late at night. Um, you know, I was tired. I'm sitting there and and honestly, part of me was like, let's just get this over with. And so I'm there and I'm sitting next to this guy. This guy must have been like six two, big guy. In fact, I was like, I wish he wasn't so big because he's kind of you know, crowd me here. You know, little chair. I was like, big guy. I was like, scoot over a little bit. But he's sitting there next to me, this huge guy. And I'm sitting there minding my own business, just praying. I'm like, okay. And I'm praying, just just, just minding my own business. And all of a sudden, I feel the Lord impress upon my heart. Tell this guy, whose nickname was actually Thump. He says, tell Thump. I mean, I'm, he's big and his nickname's Thump. And I'm like, I don't know that I want to be speaking to this guy, you know? Like, in the name of Jesus, I've been around this guy for like 12 hours. And I'm like, I do not want to do this. But I felt like the Lord impressed upon my heart, tell this guy that I love him. And I was like, no. (laughs) I was like, no, not doing that, God. Sorry, it's late. I'm ready to go to bed. I don't feel like getting thumped today, right? And so I'm saying, I'm like, no. And so then God's like, Tell him I love him. And I'm like, nope. I mean, just for this, went on. It felt like for 10, 15 minutes. It only, may have only been a couple, of, but it went on forever. And I'm sitting there and it got so bad, y'all, that, that I'm sitting there and drops of sweat are coming off of my forehead. My heart is beating 100 miles an hour. And I'm like, oh, I'm nauseated. I'm like, oh, and my heart's going, oh, I don't want to do this. And God's like, tell him I love him. And I said, finally, I said, all right, God, if you want me to tell this huge guy, whose nickname is Thump? that I love him, then you need to tell me exactly what you want me to say. And as clearly as I've ever experienced God speak to my heart, it just was, and listen, it wasn't like... Tell Thump that. It, it wasn't like that, right? Or I would have been checking out. I would have been under the chairs. It wasn't like that. It was, it was just this, this, this feeling, this impression I got in my heart. And I just something within me knew that this is God. And he says, tell Thump that I love him and that I've loved him since before his mother named him Thump. I'm like, that's pretty daggum specific. And so I'm like, ah. and that's how I'm still about to throw up. I'm like, all right. So then I'm like, how do I go about this, right? And so I just kind of do this. And this was like, this was probably like seven years ago. I mean, I wasn't a pastor. I was not a preacher. I was, I was just, I didn't, you know, it wasn't like this. Is just me sitting there. And, and so I kind of did like the, put my arm around him. And, and I lean over and I'm like, this guy is going to kill me. And so I'm like, I just got to do this. I got to do this. And so I lean over and I said, Thomp, I just feel like God wants me to tell you that he loves you and he's loved you since before your mama named you Thomp. And he just went. And I was, and then I jerked my arm back. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I just screwed up. You know, you just get that sick feeling in your stomach. I was like, I have ruined this guy's entire weekend. I'm done. I'm not, I'm, I'm not fit for the kingdom of god you know i've ruined this guy and so anyway the next day we had this opportunity to share well he ends up in my little sharing group and so we're out there and we're sitting at the table and uh and he he it's his turn to share and he looks at us and and he says you know all of my life i've been trying to tear down these walls that keep me from god and I've been trying to do these things, to tear down these walls. But every time I tear one down, it seems like somebody builds it back up. And then he breaks down and starts crying. And he says, And then last night in the chapel, I was sitting there and I was asking God, If you really love me, then tell me that you love me. And he just loses. And then I realized what's about to come. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm all crying. And, and I'm and it's not running down my face. You know, and, and then, and, and, and he said, and then last night in the chapel, I'm sitting there and I'm saying, God, if you love me, tell me you love me. Tell me you love me. And he said, and right then somebody reached their arm around me. He said, I don't even know who it was. I was like, thank God. <laughs> and he said, and they told me that, that God loves you. And he loved you before your mama named you Thump. And he says, you don't understand. My mama named me Thump when I was in her belly. Because I used to kick her all the time. So before he was born, God was saying, I loved you. I loved you. I loved you before you were even born. And here I am sitting there going, I almost didn't do that. Because I wasn't sure. But you know what I've learned? Is that over time, I've become a little more certain about what God's voice sounds like. Listen, Jesus says in John 10 that we'll know the shepherd's voice. But he also says that the sheep don't recognize anybody else's voice. And it takes time for the sheep to learn the voice of the shepherd. The only way we can learn the voice of the shepherd is by practicing hearing God. The only way that we learn the voice of God is by honestly taking a little step of faith. Listen, if you think God speaks to you to sell everything you own and move to Africa, I would confirm that a few times. But if you're sitting there and and, and God puts something on your heart, a little something small, maybe it's sending somebody a card, just begin to respond to God, hear him and obey him hear him and obey him. Because I want to tell you what will happen. You will begin to recognize stop signs that God puts in your life. You'll begin to recognize green lights that God puts in your life so that you know when to stop and when to go. It's not a perfect sign. I mean, you have to learn the voice of God. But I want to challenge and encourage you to begin to listen. One of the problems that we don't hear the voice of God is simply because we don't take time to listen. We don't take time. to. It was, we're so full of, of iPods and iPhones and cell phones and all these other things that we don't take time to listen. And I would challenge you that the first thing you ought to hear is today that God wants to speak to you. I don't believe that you have to live and learn. I believe that God will teach you so that you can live without making all the mistakes you would have to make. So that we have the opportunity to hear God's voice and respond. Another reason we don't uh, hear the voice of God, we just never learn to discern it. You've got to take steps of faith and begin to learn, this was God, this wasn't. Have I missed it before? Yes, I have. There have been other times when, when I, I would do things and I'd find, figure out later, boy, that wasn't God. But you've got to take steps of faith and begin to listen. The, the Jesus said that when you hear the voice of the enemy, because it will come to deceive you, that we should flee the enemy. So we need to begin to hear the voice of God and obey. And we need to begin to hear the voice of the enemy and recognize it for what it is and flee from it. When I was uh, a little boy, we used to go all the time up to DeSoto Falls. Anybody ever heard of DeSoto Falls? It's a little campground up in the mountains. And my dad and granddad and I, we would go fishing, trout fishing every spring. And one day I was, had walked down the road a little piece and I was doing some fishing and, and I, I began to walk back and I heard something behind me. And when I turned around, my first thought was it was a bear. I thought a bear had come out of the woods and was about to maul me. But then I realized it was a chow. And the thing about this chow was though he was not a friendly chow. I mean, in fact, he was coming to, I'm pretty sure, eat my legs off of my body right then and there. Because he looked mean. The only thing I could see, really, after I began to run frantically was this big purple tongue flopping around, hanging out of his mouth. And I just ran. But, but as I was running, I felt something just begin to well up inside of me. And I turned around and I said, stop! Well, that woke some of you up, didn't I? I said, Stop! And you know, he stopped and he sat down right there. No, he didn't really. I kept running. I did not do that. I wish that I had that courage. But I, I ran for my life. This dog was about to eat me. I dropped my fishing pole. In fact, I kind of threw it at him, and I dropped my tackle box, and I ran. And some of us need to hear that today. Listen, I can tell you you're in one of three places. You've either bought into a deception and a lie, and you're in the middle of it right now, and God can deal with that too, or you're on the verge of buying into something that you don't need to buy into. You're on the verge of making a decision that you know very clearly goes against what God wants you to do, or three You're going to face this one day. All of us will face this many, many, many times. And you need to understand that when you get that check, when you know this is not right, I'm going to flee as though I am running from a child with a big purple tongue that would love to devour me. And we need to run and we need to flee. All right? Last scripture. And I'm not going to talk about this long, but I want you to hear this. Acts 17, 24 through 27. says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. This is where I want to leave you today. It says that God who created everything put men in places, in exact places. And I want to tell you that you're not here today by accident. You're not here by coincidence. Um, God put you here today. God wanted you to be here. And so I want to just challenge you to, I hope you wrote some of those things. Go home. The Bible says that if you will do what the Word of God says, you will be blessed. It doesn't say if you just go hear a message for about 45 minutes on Sunday, you'll be blessed. It says if you'll actually do what the Word of God says, you will be blessed. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you that today you were not here by accident, but this is part of God's plan for your life. Go home and begin to do the things that God has told you to do. He's placed you in the exact right place, at the exact right time, the exact right moment. And that's for us here today. Why don't we stand up and pray?